Hi everyone, good evening and welcome to um, our North Rose School Committee open meeting. Today is Wednesday, April 6th, 2022 and the time is 6.32. All members are present this evening. We're going to start off our meeting with audience sharing. At this time, is there anyone in the audience who would like to share? All right, seeing none, we're going to move on to new business. So our first order of new business is our principal's report and the Mellican Middle School PTO presentation. Um, and tonight we have um, Michelle Carb, principal of Mel. Oh, so slight change of plans. So, <laughs> so um, I did have a conversation with Michelle Carb uh, this afternoon. She will be presenting at the May meeting. Great. So and the Mellican PTO will present at the May meeting as well. This evening we have the Lincoln Street PTO will be presenting and Principal Wright will present on behalf of the North Coast Schools this evening. So Excellent. Thank you, Principal Wright, for being here tonight. Sure. Thanks for having me. It's strange to be back in person. You have to use that. <laughs> Just so that the people at home can hear you. Okay. Thank you. So thanks for having me in person. It's nice to be here. In full disclosure, I put my glasses so I'm going to do my <laughs> <laughs> um, All Town Band is in full swing for all of the elementary across um, the district have been traveling to Mellican each and every Wednesday to rehearse for an upcoming um, concert that will be happening in May. Students across North Row in grades three to eight will be taking um, part in the ELA math and science and technology and engineering MCAS test over the next few weeks. Um, we're well underway with that and things are going uh, very well. So that'll happen in the months of April and May. The Proctor School is thrilled to bring back in-school enrichment, and during the month of March and April, students in grades K to 5 worked with hands-on nature to explore worm habitats, owl pellets, and the life cycle of a butterfly. Students love the hands-on expo exploration. Author Josh Funk will be visiting Proctor at the end of April as well, and the kindergarten students love showing off their growing, love showing off their growing reading skills. In April, the first graders will share their animal habitat projects with their families and other students as part of a gallery walk. Students read, uh, sorry, students read, researched, and wrote about their animals along with a visual representation to go along with their reports. Proctor second graders have been learning about their own identities and heritages, heritages in social studies as part of the heritage product, project. The third graders have independently formed writing groups and are proudly writing their own stories and graphic novels to share with each other while the fourth graders are writing their own multi-step word problems for others to solve using the strategies that they have learned thus far in the school year. Lastly, the Proctor, Proctor fifth graders would like to thank the Proctor community for contributing to their fundraising efforts as part of the coin wars. The fifth graders raised over $1,800 in this very successful fundraising campaign. That's pretty good. 
During the month of March, the Z and Peasley School hosted an author visit from Josh Funk. He read his coding books to the students in grades K to five. The younger students enjoyed a book on coding, a sandcastle, while the older students engaged in a book on coding a, a roller coaster. March also brought back the Scholastic Book Fair at the Z School and the Lincoln Street School. Um, Parent-teacher conferences were held on March 31st. In past years, the spring conferences have had a, had a smaller turnout than the fall. However, this year we saw an even number of conferences compared to the fall. April appears to be filled with many enriching experiences for Z students. They began the month with a visit from Animal Adventures for uh, the students in grades K to 2. And later in April, they will be hosting WPI Robotics for all grades. In addition, their Kid Fest returns on Friday night, April 29th, followed by four weeks of Project Adventure. Ooh, I think this is actually, is that Z School or mm -hmm. Peasley? <clears throat> Project, okay. My apologies. Um, okay. The fifth grade fundraising event, Penny Wars, raised $980, and their staff and students celebrated Autism Acceptance Week this week. Each day, um, they celebrate by wearing a suggested color or theme, and in addition, each day they learn a different aspect of autism. This has been a worthwhile journey for their students to better understand autism. Lastly, the fifth grade students and staff members were collecting donations for a family in need, and they're working in conjunction with the Algonquin Interact Club to do so. On March 11th, 2022, the Lincoln Street School students participated in special activities to celebrate the third annual International Social and Emotional Learning Day. This year's theme for the SEL Day was Finding Common Ground, Pursuing Common Good. Throughout the week, students watched videos and participated in activities their classes um, related to the SEL skills. The Northboro Garden Club generously provided grant funding for a new community flower garden. Students planted flower seeds and decorated rocks for the border for the new garden, which will be located in the front of the school for all community members to enjoy. The students learned about Ms. Rollins, our physical education teacher's niece, um, who's a fourth grader who has Pfeiffer syndrome and who has had, un had to undergo 22 surgical procedures. The students made cards of support for Abby as she recently underwent another surgical procedure. Students watched a short film about differences and worked with their partner to identify ways that they are similar to and ways that they are different from their partner. Each student also helped to create an SEL themed poster uh, to prominently display what they had learned during the week and how the LSS students use their SEL skills each day. Also, during the week, the students raised almost $550 through a coin drive to support the Northborough Helping Hands Association. And this week, our fifth grade student council was honored to present Jane O'Toole, president of the Northborough Helping Hands Association, with a check to help support their efforts. Students at LSS and our fifth grade students at LSS and Peasley graduated um, from DARE, which stands for Drug Abuse Resistance Education. Officer Griffin and Officer Phil from the Northbrook Police Department focus lessons on empowering students to respect others and to choose to lead lives free from violence, substance use, and other dangerous behaviors. 
During the month of March, the Peasley School celebrated National Reading Month, where students had the opportunities to participate in several special activities. One highlight was their Community Reading Day, where Algonquin athletes from the girls' and boys' basketball teams visited Peasley classrooms to read and discuss stories with students. A special thanks to Mrs. Kelsey, Mrs. Kelsey, Peasley Librarian, Athletic Direct Director Mike Massarino, and Coach Melissa Festino, and all of the athletes who helped make this event a huge success. To keep the ball rolling, Peasley has been very busy planning the Wizards game that will take place on April 8th at 7 o'clock at Algonquin. And the Peasley PTO has done an amazing job organizing this wonderful Northboro community event with over 700 tickets sold. Many players from across Northboro excite, are excited to show off their talents. Maybe some of you too, I'm not sure. Um, okay, so Lincoln Street School was awarded a $5,500 grant through the Mass Cultural Council STARS Residency Program. Jay Mankita, teaching artist and engineering enthusiast, will be working with our fourth and fifth grade classes this May. And throughout three the three sessions of this residency, students will learn about, design, and construct three sets of kinetic mecha mechanisms, each building on the previous set. Each session will, session will be preceded by an asynchronous video lesson in which students will learn specific techniques for prepping their materials. And this will allow for more face-to-face -face time spent with Jay and the actual design work and construction. Each ses session is also followed by asynchronous engagement with Jay through the online flat, uh, Flipgrid uh, platform in which students upload their progress pics and their videos along with any questions and through which Jay offers encouragement, feedback, and next steps. The fi final projects will be exhibited at the school with a video gallery available online for the greater school community to see. That's the elementary schools. Any questions about that so far? Yes, Joan? Uh, thank you very much for the presentation and encapsulating everything that happened in all the K-8 schools. Uh, at the beginning of your presentation, you talked about the MCAS testing. Sure. And uh, could you just repeat that part so parents would know when that's going to be? I'm sure the principals of each school yep. is uh, passing out the information and the kids are well prepped. But uh, what are the dates and in what subject? You said science, technology? So we have ELA, math, and our fifth graders also do science and technology and engineering. They are underway in all of the schools so far, and they run across the months of April and May. Okay, thank you. Um, Follow-up question? Sure. Um, I hate to put uh, Greg on the spot, but um, b since we're talking about technology and we, we have the one-to-one -one initiative, I know at a public forum it was mentioned just recently that we did not have, uh, we have not purchased any, and I know through the different budget line items we have been purchasing uh, technology, especially since the initiative by the Ed Foundation, which was the Ed Foundation had a fundraiser I'd say maybe about five years ago, they would buy one and they, we would give one. So I know that the testing that we're doing is probably not on paper. It is by um, Chromebooks mm -hmm. yes. for the kids. All, yeah. So Greg, could you just give us an update how that is going and because we have all the schools doing it at one time. And do we have enough Chromebooks for all the kids? Sure, so as you recall, the North Carolina Education Foundation was very generous and had a tremendous fundraiser that allowed us to purchase many Chromebooks for our pre-K through eight schools. Um, since then, we've um, added Chromebooks through the operational budget 
um, and most recently through ESSER 2 and ESSER 1 funds, we've also been able to purchase additional um, Chromebooks and laptops and technology. And the pandemic did accelerate our one-to-one -one initiative. And at this point in time, we are a one-to-one -one, uh, district. We do have a hardware replacement uh, cycle plan in place that is funded to the operational budget. And a follow-up question? Yes. I know that during the pandemic, uh, we made sure that all the students, when we were remote, had their devices. And in coming back, I mean, think of what you're just saying now is hardware replacement. Were there um, some issues where we had to, because these were at home, and now they're coming back with the wear and tear? Yeah, so our technology department did an excellent job inventorying all the technology that returned um, from students uh, who had remote laptops. Uh, we did see some damage as we anticipated and expected. We do have repair contracts, and when possible, we repaired laptops, and um, in some cases, we purchased new laptops because they just weren't repairable. So, and we are purchasing those then through our operational budget, correct? correct? And um, one last question. So, mm -hmm. operational budget and SR funds. And SR funds that we have. Thank you very much. And um, I know that uh, last year at this time, because of the situation with the pandemic and remote and uh, learning, and then we're coming back with flexible, uh, the state last year, the MCAS testing was on paper. Is that correct? No, it was electronic. It was electronic last year. Mm -hmm. And so is, and so this year again, we're electronic and everything is going smoothly so far with all that. Okay. Thank you very much for that clarification and also for the public. Thank you. I, I have um, the middle school's update as well, if we're ready for that. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. So this is from Principal Carp. Um, there's six, uh, Melican sixth grade band received a gold medal at last weekend's Massachusetts Instrumental and Choral Conductors Association Festival. Their seventh grade band received a silver medal, as did the eighth grade band. Melican's school musical, high school musical junior, will be performed this Friday and Saturday at 7 o'clock at Algonquin. They have over 50 students participating in this performance. Melican's Project 351 representative Cooper Davis and their student council are teaming up to lead a collection drive for cradles to crayons. They are collecting new and gently used clothing for children of all ages. All six seventh and eighth graders will be taking their ELA MCAS tests next Tuesday and Wednesday. They have 25 classes of students testing and as well as almost 40 small groups and individual students. That's a total of nearly 65 groups of student, students testing at one time. And a special thanks to our technology department from all of the schools for helping to work behind the scenes to make sure this is running smoothly for all of us. Thank you so much, Principal Wright. Any further comments or questions for Principal Wright? Kelly. Just a question, and you might not know, but um, is the high school musical, is it open to other people to buy tickets? And are they still available at the door? Or was it just a pre-sale only okay. type you thing? You can buy tickets at the door. I can't answer that. Yeah, <laughs> they're selling, they're pre-selling tickets, but they are available at the door. It's open to all public. So they can. Okay. I understand there's a lot of high school students going. They have younger siblings, and it's Friday and Saturday. Saturday. Right. Seven. Okay. Friday, of course, overlaps with the Wizards. Yeah. The big game. We have three events at high school on Friday. So Friday's busy. We have the high school music junior, and then we also have the other events. Um, 
one other event at the high school oh, too. The high school. So the high school music, so it's at the high school. Oh, I didn't realize that. It's confusing. It's High School Musical Junior, put on by the Nelliton at High School. Gotcha. Gotcha. But I will be there because my son's in it. On Saturday? Both days. Okay. I want to try to get the kids there on Saturday. Thank you. Principal Wright, thank you so much for being here. I loved hearing about the autism awareness that the elementary schools are participating in. And thank you also for sharing about the middle school. We appreciate it. Um, at this time, we invite the Lincoln Street School PTO members. Uh, I believe that there are two here today. Uh, welcome. If you can come on up to the table. Sure. Principal Wright will give you the microphone just so that people at home can hear you. Um, and if you could just introduce yourselves, we'd love to uh, know who you are and hear about your PTO adventures. And do you have a presentation? I do. Okay, perfect. I don't need to put it up. I can. Whatever, whatever's easiest. I don't want to cause too much of a, of a ripple. Technologically. <laughs> Keith's got you covered. Yeah. <laughs> Technology whisperer. <laughs> Watch him go. Uh, while we're setting up, I'm Melissa Tugas. Hi, Melissa. And this is Jonathan Pryor. Sure. Can you stream into that thing? So another option is that you could email it to. You could email it to one of us, and I could project for you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I queued it up in my in my email. Perfect. Yeah, just go ahead and forward it, and they can get it up there. I forward it too. I'm happy to do it if you want. I got it. Pressure's on, Keith. <laughs> Calm and cool. Greg, can I ask you a quick question while we wait? Sure. You might know the answer. I thought Michelle was presenting tonight. Do we know if any of the typical eighth grade traditions are coming back, like the farewell dance, orientation at the high school? I know there, there have been um, many planning sessions around what the end of the year will look like. Okay. I don't have any specifics. Okay. Um, but for all <clears throat> intents and purposes, we are returning to our more normal end of the year um, event schedule. Okay. Um, and if there are no COVID restrictions at this point in time, we'll move forward with those as best we can. Okay. Um, Mary Ellen, I'm not sure if you've had any conversations with Principal Carr around the end of the year events that will be taking place at Melican. Not yet. But I would anticipate that we would be returning to the typical. Stay tuned. 
All right, uh, Melissa and Jonathan, thank you for being here tonight. You can start whenever you're ready. All right, great. Um, this is Melissa Tugas. I'm Jonathan Pryor. I'm one of the co-chairs, really the second chair. This would be first chair. Um, <laughs> thanks for giving us the opportunity to share a little bit about how we, we fundraise and support our students and parents um, and teachers at the Lincoln Street School. Um, so this slide, it's good that the writing's so small, you probably can't see over here. Melanie Palmer's name is on there. We have the old board, because uh, we pirated this slide from, uh, <laughs> from the website, but she should be there in perpetuity anyway. Melanie's sort of on the Mount Rushmore of Lincoln Street School PTO, so it's, it's pretty fitting. Um, the goal of the PTO has really changed slightly um, this year in response to the, the pandemic, obviously. Um, we pivoted to put more of a focus on community engagement and really just to perform at a level budget. Um, our predecessors did such an amazing job fundraising in the past that it allowed us to take some of our focus away from that and just putting it more on opportunities for, for, for students and, and families to just come together and really try and, and build at a community level. Um, Fun Day, which was always an amazing family event that we had had in the past and a huge revenue driver, um, wasn't able to happen this year. And uh, due to restrictions around comfortability and just being early in the year, people getting together. So we decided to go with something a little less formal and we did Trunk or Treat. Um, Trunk or Treat was the first for us for this year and it was a real, real nice opportunity for kids and their families just to get together after a year apart and it was it was a lot of fun outdoors kids got the extra crack at some candy outside of um, their regular trick-or-treating so it, it went really well and in the future we really felt like this was something that could be expanded across the elementary schools and really try and do from a community building standpoint really not operate in silos and do a lot more together you see the the camaraderie a lot of these kids have through town sports and the school events really seem to operate a little more independently. So we'd like to try and focus on, on more of that outreach and, and bringing the community together. Um, stock the teacher's room. This was, um, we have a couple educators on the, on the board and this was something that had been done at our own schools and we felt was really appreciated by us and we thought it would be as well um, and it had been. We, it also helped us focus on our one-to-one -one fundraising efforts for the year. Rather than really go on a revenue driving, we would throw out informationally, this is the things we're about to do, and if you would like to donate, please do so. And we found that um, that one-to-one -one sort of present and give was a really nice way for people to get engaged in the things that they wanted to be engaged in for fundraising. Um, so stock in the teacher's room, there was drinks and snacks. Um, we were able to get a Keurig machine for them because caffeine. Um, there's really no other reason for that. Um, so it, it was something we were able to do multiple times throughout the year and we'd like to just keep doing it in perpetuity. It's a nice way to say thank you and uh, the teachers get a lot of positive feedback on it. Uh, the book fair, this is a staple of ours. Um, we do a, a beginning of the year and then one now that coincides with conferences. Um, we did this, it is a bit of a coffer builder, so we decided why, you know, fix something that's not, not broken. Um, very good revenue driver for us and special thank you to Nicole Drink Green and Deirdre Watkins. Um, a lot of setup and breakdown goes into it, so they put in a tremendous amount of effort. Um, so thank you specifically to them and all the other volunteers um, that take part.
Um, so family fun events. Some of these are events that we've obviously done in the past. Bravehearts games, Railers games, now we have the, the Woo Sox. But we wanted to do other things where we're just getting, getting people together and supporting uh, businesses in the community and giving people the opportunity to um, sort of take part in that community engagement. Uh, one that we did recently was at the schoolyard. Um, it was a real fun event. It's a great place where kids and adults can get together and play old school games of kickball and wiffle ball, and then they have like life-size foosball and other events like that. Um, we did it as a very um, marginal fundraiser, just a slight uptick on the general cost of admission. Um, we were able to bring a lot of people together with their families. They had a good time, and again, this is something we'd like to expand to. We were intermingled with the public for that fundraiser, something we'd like to do district-wise and book it out just just for us even if it is at a level budget thing just from a community engagement event and then another idea that we had as parents of these kids there's a lot of events that are very child-centric and we decided maybe we should kick back to the babysitters in the community uh, now that we can and do something a little more adult-centric and we're going to have a, a vineyard night for adults only um, and then there's a couple local breweries that we would like to support, and if we could do so through a fundraising effort, we thought that would be a nice way for those um, areas of the community to give back. Enrichment programs. Um, in the past, has been a, a big part of what our money goes towards. This year, not as much due to our inability to you know, get kids outside doing things, but this is just the highlight of um, some of the grade level curriculum aligned programs that we've supported in the past. Um, and again, we're hoping to see a lot more of that in the future. Grants. Um, we have funded, to my knowledge, 100% of the grant requests that we've had this year. Um, and one message that we'd like to sort of push back onto the, the schools and the, and the teachers is that this is really an underutilized line item that we have in our foundational budget. Um, we allocate a lot more funds to this line item than are being asked uh, on us. So the, any principals, teachers, anybody that's involved in there, we have a few teachers that really go after it and we've gone above the norm for them when they've asked again just because the budget is there. But we'd really like to spread that even across um, every, every grade level and, and every teacher. So please, if there's something that you'd like to do to expand your program for the betterment of the kids, get your grant submission in because the funds have been allocated. Um, teacher appreciation. Um, more than just the teach stock room, um, we've had notes of, of support and kindness from the students written to the teachers, which was a nice gesture. Yulman's ice cream there for the beginning of the day, and then some catered luncheons. Um, at, I believe at their half-day school events, which is it's always nice to have. People, people always respond well to food. Um, our financial summary. There's generally a working budget of about $16,000. Um, this year it's going to come in much less than that on a level budget, so that's why you know, we're not so heavy on the revenue driving side. Um, silent auction was a great driver for revenue, revenue this year. Um, schoolyard was marginal, but again, great time. And book fair and school pictures take up a lot of it. 
Um, but the miscellaneous fundraising on the one-to-one -one we found has been a really uh, positive feedback where it doesn't seem like constant asking. Um, people can support directly to the programs that they like, and we feel in the future, especially with enrichment programs, if somebody has a soft spot in their heart for STEM or dance or the arts, that they would be more inclined to donate on that one-to-one -one basis. And keeping families in the loop. Um, we would really be nothing without our volunteers, and we work hard to keep our families in the loop. Tuesday topics go out each week, um, which are very, very informative and a, a source of entertainment for us on Monday night while we text about what we're going to put into it and what we forgot to put in it. Um, and through that and our uh, Miss Wright's help as well with her weekly emails, she kicks everything back out to the community. Uh, we utilize social media as much as possible to keep people as, as informed as, as we can be. And that is it. So informationally, I hope I provided you with a good overview of, of what we've done this year, which is a little different than the past, um, and how we'd like to move forward. And if you have any questions, Melissa would be happy to answer them. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Melissa. Sure. Any questions or comments for our PTO? Joan. Um, if I can go through the four that I have written sure. down. Okay. The first one um, that you mentioned, which was the trunk or treat, I thought that was a wonderful idea. Coming out of the pandemic, uh, you know, people have felt so isolated, kids have, and even the parents have. Um, and I think that was a great socialization activity. As you said, it was a school community event, a school, a school community event building, because you probably had kindergarten parents for the first time. And it was a great way, I would think, uh, if I was a parent, is to meet other parents and because parents are working during the day, they're so busy, and this was just, I think, was wonderful to do. I'd like to, you know, have the other schools even build upon that and, and to have a repeat performance. I think that would be wonderful. And as you said, it wasn't a fundraiser. It was just a good time for the community to come together. Um, as a former teacher, I love the idea to stock the uh, teacher's room, and I could see behind the whiteboard is that you had some things that, you know, kept the teachers updated, you know, and the things that are going to be happening. So I thought that was a real good way to have internal communication between you and the faculty. Um, on the enrichment programs, I saw one that was listed, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but one was, and I'd like to know what, <laughs> okay, Melissa, <laughs> um, this is like Jeopardy. What is the MARC student, I think it was student presentation, the acronym was MARC, do you know what that was? Oh, that's wonderful because I know that's one of the initiatives I think in all the schools and even in the state is the anti-bullying. So that was that was very was now. Did all the classes go to that K through five? Yes, they did. Okay, thank you. And the last one was on the grants. Um, I, my question was, I saw in your financial summary that the grants that you have, the money allotted, was $4,000. And um, is this an ongoing submission? So is it that teachers can apply for this money at any time? Yes, I believe. Yeah, up through May 18th. At the beginning of the year, if there was a, obviously like a major influx that were to, to run the line item out, um, we would either have to go back to the budget and, de and decide to allocate the funds and put a stop to it, but I really don't see that happening just based on the 
in frequency of the grants that we're receiving at this point in time. So they have time for this year and in the future. Um, I think as a as a community, we need to do a better job of, of trying to push teachers to to utilize that that resource as best they can because it's there and mm -hmm. that number that number is just there not to say arbitrarily but it's just based on historic data there's no reason why that number couldn't be driven up and up um, mm -hmm. if if the the resource was being utilized we would have an influx in our revenue driving events to to meet those grant requests so it's sort of where the rubber meets the road on, on that one, what that number would actually look like in the future. Is the application a long process or is it lengthy? It isn't. It is about as easy as it can possibly get. <laughs> I want. <laughs> a one-liner and an email would suffice as a submission. <laughs> That's good. Because I know that uh, Stephanie just sent to all the school committee members uh, a breakdown of the professional development day. And there were so many rich uh, sessions that the teachers were doing with and I think when the teachers collaborate and talk with each other they get so many ideas so I would hope that you know if it's that easy the teachers would take advantage of it because we always say teachers spend so much out of their own pocket to pay for things in their classroom so and I like to that you're even doing report, repeat performing people that are asking for a second grant maybe a third but thank you very much I think it's very worthwhile in those grants and everything that you're doing is encompassing from the beginning of your presentation to the end so thank you uh, Melissa and Jonathan thank you you're very welcome have a good night thank you I think we do have a few more Keith oh thank you yes um, yeah thank you for the presentation and for all your volunteer time I know it's a lot of work so um, certainly on behalf of the school committee and the school community and as a parent um, it's really tremendous work and, and very impactful in, in enriching the word you use and supplementing um, the work that's being done uh, you know by the school district itself so thank you very much for that the I'm curious about the miscellaneous funding one-to-one -one. I'm not sure I understood what this is but I'm intrigued so if you could tell us a bit more about what that means Sure. Um, so fundraising generally in the past, they would just have a fundraising event, whatever it may be. Even the book fair is just a general fundraising event. The, the, the funds, they don't know where they go exactly. Okay. Where what we tried to do, because there's so many of those events and they are very successful, but it can seem overwhelming at times. It's like, hey, it's PTO. They keep asking for money. What's going on here? Where is it going? Where if we were to fund an individual event say uh, even a, a grant request came in here's a grant we're going to approve it whatever the dollar amount that was associated with that in an attempt to replace it in a tuesday topic informationally say hey we've supplied funds to this teacher for this program it's going to align with this curriculum item and perhaps the teachers of that grade level would be inclined to donate directly to offset the costs of that program directly and not sort of at a 10,000 foot level where they're not quite sure where exactly those funds are going. Um, and we found it to be fairly successful in those macro in environments to, I'm sorry, micro environments where you can just be like, oh, we let's offset the funds for this, throw it out there and see what we get back. And it, been rather successful so it, we're hoping in the forward moving forward to do less overarching asks for money and really explain where it's going and 
um, have the people that have an emotional tie to that program or that grade level to support it. Okay, that, I, I'm following you now. Makes, when you said it, it clicked for me when you started to explain <laughs> it. The other thing, what I, what I was thinking it was at first, which as a parent I can tell you sometimes we like as well is there's before we used to do like magazines and stuff at Melican, but then I don't know if it was when my kids were it was a few years ago it was before the pandemic but that they were like you can do magazines or you can just make a donation <laughs> just like another option too yeah. if you don't feel like going door to door and doing you know ending, ending up with the popcorn or you know I mean and what's nice too is you can do the you know it's probably a good fit for certain families right because then you know a hundred percent right instead of having a product in the middle or something else you can just say okay this is going to go direct you know 100 percent to the programs with no other third party getting a cut of it or or anything like that so it sounds like you're building some nice tools in your fundraising arsenal so thank you thank you i'm all set thank you okay. thank you so much yes so thank you on behalf of the district. I'm very appreciative of the support that you've given to our district. I think what I heard, um, which resonated with me, was providing students with experiences. I think that's outstanding. I think the more experiences our students can have, the more enriching opportunities they have, the better off we are as a community. The second was the, the building community. I think um, just providing those experiences, the buying tasting and that was intriguing so I'd like to learn more about that. <laughs> uh, but just building the sense of community with the Lincoln Street families is, is outstanding and then supporting our educators. Um, I know it's greatly appreciated. I agree food goes a long way. A few of us were at Lincoln last Thursday and the luncheon had been set up and um, it was very impressive um, and teachers were commenting as we were kind of roaming the fall. So thank you um, and please extend my thanks to the other folks who support this work as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jonathan, Melissa. We really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Of course. How did Keith do? Great with Thank you very much. You're welcome. His mind reading capability of one of They had a little signal going on. He's reading it. Uh, so next we're going to move on to our third item of new business. So we have a presentation tonight from our coordinator of social and emotional learning, Dr. Jennifer Lipton O'Connor, who is relatively new to our district. So we invite her up here um, to tell us a little bit more about uh, the work that's going on in our district. Thank you so much, Dr. Lipton O'Connor, for being here tonight. Everybody. Hi. Thank you. Great. I think I can do this without Keith. <laughs> So can I just share a few comments? Sure. So you are absolutely right. This is a relatively new position. Um, and Dr. Lipton O'Connor is shared across other uh, partner districts, the region and South Pro. Um, it's hard to believe that she began her work this summer. She's been very impactful. And I can't think of a better time um, or more important time uh, to, have, to have or need a coordinator of social emotional learning and um, She's worked very closely with Dr. Reinhorn and the teaching and learning team and has made a difference in the short time she's here. So I'm excited, we are excited to have her share some of the work and some of the thinking that we're doing and um, what you can expect in the future. Thank you. Is this good? You can hear me? Okay. Okay, so thanks for the time. And I wanna thank um, Superintendent Martineau for giving me this opportunity to share the work 
that we've been doing this year. So even though I'm new to this role, this work has been ongoing um, before I started here. So when we talk about social emotional learning, it, even though it's something we all have experience with, it's always good to start with a shared definition. So we are using the CASEL frameworks, which some of you might be familiar with. Um, the CASEL here stands for the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. And I want to be really clear that it's not the same CASEL as our special education program. I know we've had some confusion. Um, one is spelled the normal way. Um, that's our special education program. And then the CASEL model is C-A-S-E-L. So today when I say CASEL, I'll be referring to the CASEL model. Um, so the CASEL, the, um, CASEL is a collaborative that's a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization whose mission is really to help public schools create and implement evidence-based social-emotional learning programs. So that's really what they do to help districts um, find and create the right programs for them. So this is the CASEL definition of social-emotional learning. So this is the definition that we're starting with. So um, as you can read, we consider social-emotional learning an important process that we all experience through our lives and it helps us acquire and apply the knowledge, skills, and attitudes to develop healthy identities, manage emotions, and achieve personal and collective goals, feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain supportive relationships, and make responsible and caring decisions. It's kind of a big definition. Um, and as Superintendent Martino said, we definitely feel like this is something that has always been a priority for us as educators. But I think now, over these last few years, it's definitely something that we're all thinking about and talking about. So I just want to give you a little more information about the CASEL model, because these are some of the um, images and some of the language that we're starting to use more consistently across the schools. So the CASEL model has these five core competencies. So um, I'm not sure if any of you have seen these images before, but the five areas are self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. And you can think about these from a developmental perspective, right? We think about our you know, three and four and five-year-olds, our youngest learners, up to our um, high school students and 22-year-olds, right? So we can think about each of these competencies and how it looks developmentally. And you can see by this figure that we think about social-emotional learning within our classrooms, but then we also expand that to our school communities, our family partnerships, and then our partnerships with our community agencies as well. So it really is not just within the classroom, it's really a broader context. And I think, again, the pandemic has made us realize that schools are really an important part of sort of the whole community and the support of our families and students. So um, as we all know, SEL is a priority for our district and in all of our school improvement plans. Um, we've talked a lot in these meetings about the portrait of a graduate. Um, last meeting, I think, you, was when you discussed the equity audit. And we talk a lot about how thinking about equity and social-emotional learning are really so inextricably linked together. It's really hard to talk about one and not talk about the other. And the CASEL model and framework really uses social-emotional learning as a vehicle to help create equity in schools. So again, when we think about some of our school improvement 
plans and goals when we think about healthy and balanced learners, we have several action steps that I'll talk a little bit more about today. Okay, so um, I want to acknowledge that all of our adults really care about social emotional learning and think about it, um, but we do have staff in each building who are really dedicated to this topic. So I just wanted to um, remind everybody about the talented school staff we have. So all educators really are part of social emotional learning, but we also have school counselors, school adjustment counselors and guidance counselors. We have our school psychologists, uh, behavior specialists and district-wide BCBAs. Our nurses, of course, when they're not dealing with COVID are also really important in our social emotional well-being in our schools. And I think really all, all members of our community, our coaches, our ESPs, down to the office staff, support staff, cafeteria staff, custodians. It's amazing how many connections and important um, relationships students have with all of the adults that work in all of our buildings. So I just really want to make sure that we, we value all community members. So some of the work this year um, has been continuing to develop that shared language and deepening our understanding of social emotional learning. I think even though it is something we all think about and have experience with, um, it's important to still have a shared definition and a shared understanding and goals around our work. We've done a lot of work around um, professional development opportunities and working with each of the schools and determining what they're already doing in each building that's working and possibly any areas of need or gaps that they might have. Um, we've also started to look more at our data collection methods. I know that the last few meetings we've had some of the other coordinators present, our ELA coordinator, math coordinators have presented, and that's as a district, we really wanna look a lot more at data and data-driven practices, and we are also doing this in the SEL world. Um, so I wanna talk about what that looks like. Some of you may have recently gotten notifications from your principals about this new initiative. Um, so one of the projects that we've been working on this year is implementing a universal SEL screener. So a lot of you are familiar with screeners for things like literacy and math. And the idea is that SEL is something that is very important to our students. And it's also something that can be a little bit hard to quantify and um, have objective data around. So. One of the projects we've been working on is implementing an SEL screener for our students. So we've, we're literally in the process of doing this as we speak. Teachers are literally entering the data right now. Um, so we're we've identified a screening tool that we think is gonna give us good data and we are systematically implementing this new data collection tool. So. The idea is a couple of things. First of all, it's just going to give us a starting point of some baseline data. Because I think we all have a lot of assumptions about where our students are in terms of their social emotional learning, given the pandemic, given what they've experienced. But it's hard when we don't actually have concrete data to start with. So it'll first just give us a baseline starting point. It's also potentially going to help us identify students who may need additional support, whatever that support might look like. It could potentially help us identify some students. And then what I'm most excited about is 
getting areas of need. So the screener will allow us to look at areas of need, buckets of need, so we can determine are our kindergartners needing support in this area? Are our fifth graders who are about to go to Melican, do they need some support in this area to help them get ready? So we're excited to be able to look at patterns of data for class-wide patterns, grade-wide, school-wide, et cetera. And that can really help drive some of the work moving forward so that we can continue to support our students. So we also have a lot of other pieces of data. Um, We've done the Metro West um, Health Survey. We've done something called the SBIRT, which is the substance use screener. We did that on our seventh graders this year. Um, we have our equity audit that we've been discussing recently. So we have a lot of sources of data. So it's really exciting to be able to use all these sources of data to really make the best um, decisions for our students and our communities. So, as I've said, this work has been going on before I started. Um, some of the other areas that we're continuing to work on um, include things like, you know, meeting the needs of our students wherever they are, right? We know the last few years have created challenges for many of our students and families, and we really want to meet those students where they are. We know that many students are struggling with things like um, high levels of anxiety, social isolation. We've been seeing more school avoidance than in prior years. So we're continuing to work with those students and families to support those needs. And like we were talking about the bullying program, we're also working to bring back some of our other programs that were put on hold during the pandemic. Um, and some of those um, focus on things like equity and inclusion and other anti-bullying programs. One of them is um, understanding our differences that some of you might remember. And also Kids on the Block is another one that we're working on bringing back to the elementary schools this spring. Um, as I've said, we also had quite a few professional development initiatives um, in March and in November. Um, Lincoln Street has really been leading the way in their mindfulness work. We've had several presentations on executive functioning. We had another training on mental health first aid and several others. Actually, one of our keynote speakers was Dr. Chris Willard, who um, gave a mindfulness after the pandemic presentation that was very well received as well. And then just continuing to collaborate with our community partners and agencies, um, because as I've said, I think we all realize that creating those connections are really important with our communities and families. So our final thoughts, um, I know that one of the themes that Superintendent Martineau had for this year was connections. I think that that's really important to think about and I like to talk a lot about resiliency as well and you know, focusing on our students' strengths and building off those strengths. Um, instead of always focusing on areas of deficit. I think that's a really important um, outcome from this pandemic that a lot of us have are really, you know, focusing on positives, building on strengths, and really encouraging coping skills and problem solving with our students. So I just want to thank you all for your time tonight. I appreciate um, the opportunity to share this work, and I want to thank Superintendent Martineau and Assistant Superintendent Reinhorn for their leadership and support. So, take any questions? Thank you so much. Erin. 
Thank you for presenting. So I had a few questions about the Sabres screener. Is that um, K through 12 that they're? Yes, yes. And were the teachers in service on performing this screener yes. or how are they? They received some training on how to. Yeah, so right. Student. So teachers, depending on the school, some teachers it was through a staff meeting, some teachers it was through one of their PLCs or, or teacher leader meetings. So they were trained on it, um, given a spreadsheet of how to fill it out. It's it's pretty simple for the teachers to do. Okay. Um, and then I guess my other question is, as a district, are we ready for the outcome of this? Like, do we have the support? Do we have the staff? You know, I know the email said that, you know, kids that are identified, it, parents will be notified and support will be given. Is that in school and in the district or you're going to help Good parents question. find yeah. people outside yeah. of school. I just worry that we're not ready for these results. Good. <laughs> those are good questions and we've definitely had a lot of those discussions. And I think we are ready for the results and I think we, we need to know what the data shows, right? Sure. We need to have a starting point. I think we do have a lot of support staff within our schools. It might be looking at how we use those staff. What a, the individual needs of students, right? And I think one of the issues that's coming from this is being able to find areas of large need, and it's less than about servicing individual students as it is servicing like a grade. So say like a grade level is struggling with social interactions. That's something where we can work with that grade level, work with the teacher, the school psychologist, behavior specialists, and think about lessons as opposed to we need to work with each individual student okay. so those are some of the we call them like our tier one and two interventions right so we can do some intervention that will touch all students who might need it okay so the conversation with parents if there are students identified will that also be helping them it they could need outside? yeah so i think it really is going to be very student specific okay. so um the data starting to come in, right? So many students who are sort of flagged on this screener are students that are already being followed more closely. They might be on an IEP, they might be a student on a 504, they might be a student who's already getting some services. So that's good that, it are, that the screener is able to catch students who we already know might need additional support. It's those students, I think what you're asking, who might not already be identified right. as needing help. And that's really an individual um, student-specific decision. So that's where the school-based team will look at the data, look at the individual student. This is one piece of data, right? So we don't want to make decisions based on one piece of data. Um, we want to really look at the whole student, the whole child, what's going on with the student, what is, what's going on with the family situation. And that's where it might be we offer support within the school day. It might be we refer out, it might be you know something else. So it really is gonna depend on the individual student, what the data looks like. But it, you know, again, the screener is one piece of data. And I think it can be really important, but we also, it's a new initiative, it's a new program. So we don't yet know what's gonna come of it. So I think some of it we will see when we analyze the data. Um, I agree with you, once you take that data, I do feel an ownership of it to act on it. Right. Um, but I think we have to see what the data looks like and 
the data that's been coming in, we are able to kind of put it into buckets of, you know, here's some kids, maybe it is a phone call home, maybe it is having more conversations about the support that student might need. But then are there other levels of support that we might be able to provide? So the high schools actually did theirs first. So their data um, has, is coming in and we've already started to look at it. And it really has allowed us to make some plans for some programs to put in place. So I, I'm hopeful for the K to eight that we'll get that kind of data as well. And then I just have one last question. Um, you talked about executive functioning training. Was that for the students or the staff? The staff. The staff. Okay. Thank can you. I, can I add one more thing about the data? Because I yep. feel like when we talk about it in the abstract, it's almost hard to picture sometimes. And um, in some ways, if, if you think about like a vision screening, like you wouldn't prescribe glasses based on the screener, right? Like the nurses mm -hmm. might do the screener and someone might get flagged. And then there's next steps to learn more. And you might go get a full eye exam and you might, you know, find out like there's nothing. Like, right? Mm -hmm. Or you might find out, oh, we need to learn more and we need more data points. So I think we have to remember that aspect of it, that it's like a, it, it is truly a screener to give us indications of the need to look deeper. And the other thing that I found really helpful as we've been looking at this is when I actually looked at the um, indicators or the um, components that are being rated, it reminds me of when you take your child to the pediatrician mm -hmm. and there's that checklist and you do the always sometimes. It's very much like that. And they're behavioral. So teachers are just being asked to say, do you see a child, um, I, I, you'll be able to think of an example. Ar argumentative is the one I always think yeah. of. Yeah, okay. Do you see a child ar arguing with their peers, sometimes frequently, and, and so they are things you either see it or you don't. That doesn't mean it maybe doesn't happen at another time of day or at home, or, but it's what that teacher is seeing and observing. So I just wanted to give a yeah. couple examples to bring it no, that's great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And can I just, I'll just add a little bit around, do we have the people to support the need? Yeah. So if you look at the past five years in terms of our operational budget um, as a school community, um, we have added additional schools to colleges support, behavioral support. Um, we're very fortunate to have school nurses in, in all of our buildings. And when you look at each school, um, I think we are very well staffed for our school size in terms of the resources we have. And also, um, to Dr. Lipton's um, point, it is, it is a shared um, responsibility between educators, our bus drivers, our families to make sure our students' SCL needs are being met. So um, in terms of what else do we need, I think we hear a lot, that question a lot being asked right now. And right now, for us, it's really around not what we need, how are we using the resources we have okay. to meet the needs of our students. Kelly? Um, along the lines, the same thing with the, with the Sabres. Um, do you know, are other districts around using this or have you had experience with other districts yeah. using other things? I've and talked to a few districts and Cambridge is one of the districts that had been using it. 
Um, we had looked at several different tools and we narrowed it down to the Sabres and one other. And a big reason that we ended up picking the Sabres was because it's actually openly available, so it's free. Mm -hmm. And that was very, um, obviously Becky really liked that. <laughs> um, but aside from that, it allowed us to own our data and really have our own data. Many of the SEL tools, it's a third-party platform, so you don't really have the ability to actually you go in and play with your own data. So we felt like, because this was something new, to kind of own our data and be able to, to look at the data more carefully was important. Moving forward, I don't know if this is gonna be the tool we're gonna be using you know, forever. I think it is a really good starting point and it gives us enough information to make decisions, but it's not too cumbersome that teachers are being asked to do something that's gonna take a really long time per student because it only takes a couple of minutes per student for a teacher to fill out. Yeah, I'm There's also a parent version and a student version of the same form that moving forward, we're gonna look into whether those might be beneficial as well. So I think those two reasons are part of why we picked the Sabres. It also, if you looked at it, yeah, I'm looking it's at it. very, um, the categories are things that teachers report are meaningful to them, right? Things that are it's seen in the classroom that are behaviors that matter to them as teachers. And as Stephanie said, they're things that are observable. So we're asking teachers to just rate students on behaviors they see in front of them, not how they, um, any assumptions about how they think the child is feeling or you know what they're, they're thinking. Yeah. So it's really based on observable behaviors. Yeah. yeah, I know, looking at it, I'm like, as a preschool, I'm like, yep, 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 easy, easy yeah. check off things. Yeah. Are, do, you, do they have a digital, are they doing it digital or are they doing it by hand? No, they, we have a... Um, like a Google form a, of yeah, this type of thing, Google so it will automatically generate it yep. and do about yeah. 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 That's what I was just thinking. I was like, oh no, do they have to like... No paper. We know we're not allowed to use paper. <laughs> right, Becky? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Keith, no, no paper. All digital. <laughs> Any other questions? Go. No, I'm good for now. Thank All you. Right. You're welcome. Keith, did you have a question? Uh, some comments? Of course. All right. Thank you. Um, very, it's um, great information. I don't think we've seen anything like this. This is definitely new territory. Um, the, this won't surprise Greg, but I'm a big fan of, I put this in the soft skills, which makes it sound unimportant. They're critical for just general success, you know, no matter kind of what you do after, after school. Um, and having been a speech pathologist for t 12 years um, in, a, in a prior career, traditionally I think the issues with SEL and general education, so special education has long been obviously working in this realm, but w the problems that I saw, the challenges were usually around um, measuring it, which I see is accounted for here in, in what the work that you're doing. Um, kind of quantifying, measuring, um, having some structure around it, because it can be a bit abstract, a bit elusive, a bit nuanced. So um, to me, what I find noteworthy is there's a lot around this. You know, if you can't just give the screener, right, which is not what you've done. You have to frame it. You have to have professional development. You have to have things that complement it. So um, I find it very encouraging work. I think it's very meaningful. I think it's often overlooked. Um, you know, it's always about academics and MCAS and 
Um, but it turns out, and as a parent too, with an eighth and a ninth grader, um, my wife's also a teacher. She's worked at some really high performing districts that were very in tune with SEL uh, here in Massachusetts and others that were not. And the happiness of those students, their, their attitudes, there's a big difference uh, based on like the culture of a school or a district um, with respect to SEL and, and uh, kind of taking it seriously and giving it the attention it deserves. So um, I think this is really a great um, starting place for this work. Um, I'm sure it's not the beginning, but as far as you know, the new undertaking, if you will, I think it's um, excellent. And uh, there, there's a shift happening, in my opinion, in, in the workplace. I work in healthcare technology now, and I've been trying to explain it to like my sister, who also has kids the same age, and my sister-in-law, trying to tell them, and like something's different now. And one thing that's different is that people don't work in their content area as much as they used to. So people are crossing barriers a lot. And that's partly because content is readily available, right? You can find stuff if you want to learn it. You can go online. You can take classes. What, and things are very fluid. But the theme that I'm seeing is that people who are finding success in that new workplace, I would say, of the 21st century, they have good people skills, soft skills, you know, analytics, synthesis. It's like all these things. Um, working as teams, um, collaborating, reading the room, all those things are really important. Um, so I just want to put those comments out there. I think it's really important work. Um, it can sound kind of squishy to people and if you're not used to this, you know, if it, if, um, it could sound like something that is, you know, why bother or, you know, why does it matter? So I just want to say it does matter. It, it, it might be a new idea to some people, but it is, it is huge. And then you add the pandemic. I think that was already the trend. And then you add a, a pandemic on top of it, and it makes it even that much more important. And then the last thing is about the, the resources that Aaron was asking about and Greg spoke about. The, this is like a bit of like an ounce of prevention type saying because you don't want to wait until these things get to crises and then you have to address them anyway and then it's costly and takes a lot of resources. These are things you want to get ahead of and handle um, with broad strokes you know from a systemic standpoint if possible which is exactly what you're describing um, while also of course tracking individuals what they need but I don't think that's where our the room for growth is more in the system in my opinion. And, and you said this yourself, we were already keeping track of kids who, individuals who specifically clearly had need. This is, this is not, you know, where, where the most impact is being seen. But the impact is more about all those conversations around it, the professional development, the measurement, the framework, the prevention. Um, because I think there's a lot of students who, I think all students benefit from this, just to kind of clarify that last part. It's even if you're functioning totally fine, right, and you're not identified, I think you learn something by even just like maturing a bit more by going through, um, by getting exposed to these ideas as a student. So just wanted to comment all those things. That's all. Thank you, Keith. Thank you. Joan. Um, Dr. Uh, Lipton O'Connor, I'd like to welcome you to the district. I think that you're a wonderful addition to the administrative team that we have. So. I hope that you've enjoyed your first year here so far, and uh, 
I know that at the, um, in seeing and preparing for your presentation tonight, um, at the September combined meeting that we have with the school committees, uh, as part of introducing uh, Greg in, into, he was introducing his evaluation tool for us that we'll be completing in the next uh, two months, is that Greg provided uh, a framework of the hierarchy of everybody, and he also, and I'm sure this is not new to you, it was a job description, mm -hmm. uh, not just a job description, but it was the general description of your job, qualifications, essential job duties, which were 16, and also the work environment and physical requirements. So I thought, okay, if you're coming tonight, I'm gonna look at these job duties and, you know, familiar with myself with it. And I think that everything that you did tonight, out of the 16 essential job duties, the first bullet is the one that you really hit upon and did such a great job. And that was uh, collaborates with the district and school leaders, counselors, educators, parents, community partners and students to coordinate and allocate resources to meet the social and emotional needs of students and to build a positive school climate. And just uh, tagging on to what Keith said, this is such an important topic. It is a hot topic, I think, all across not just America, the world, because we're all concerned about the students and we will not know some of the lasting effects on these kids from the pandemic. We have never gone through some of this. I think all of us sitting here, we can always come back to an elementary experience, but we never had an uncertainty. Are we in school? Are we out of school? And what is happening? And we want to see our teachers. We want to see our friends. We want to educate and we want to learn. And so I think that what you have done here is just absolutely wonderful. I did have a question on, um, you said leads the route, one of the things, and I'm not sure, I don't want to put you on the spot, but one of the essential job duties was to lead the review of SEL programs pre-K through 12. So it, this is part of that SABRE program that you're talking about that you had in the CASEL program, correct? When you're looking at the SEL programs so pre-K. I, th I think that that is more curricula. So SEL programs, things like there's a social thinking, um, I think that's what you're referring to in there, Joan. Okay. So this would allow us, the data that we're talking about today would allow us to identify areas of need, but then separate from that, we wanna look at program and curricula that might exist for our school. We've found there aren't really good pre-K to 12th grade curriculum out there. Mm -hmm. There's a, a few, quite a few for K to five. Mm -hmm. But it's really important to us that we have that vertical alignment, that we use the same language across uh, the grades. Mm -hmm. So part of the work now is looking at the different programs that exist and trying to work with the school teams to figure out which ones do we already have that we like, that are benefiting students, and then are there other ones that we want to look at in the future. Okay, and then another um, essential job, job duty was to forge partnerships with community stakeholders. So I think you hit upon that, how you're reaching out to other community stakeholders. And um, it also said to develop and monitor short and long-term budgets to support the goals of the pre-K-12 SEL program and district strategic plan. So um, I know budget is, is a big concern of all of us and the taxpayers, the community uh, members. And I would just like to see that I think that there are some good programs and personnel that we have that are supported through the budget that we'll be, t be taking to the town meeting uh, at the end of April. So I'm sure that I look forward to next year working and seeing some of the initiatives that you have onto the, onto the budget. Um, and uh, one last one that I really liked was that you partnered with the director of social, 
Director of Student Support Services. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a good collaboration along with guidance counselors, adjustment counselors, and school psychologists. We all yes. have to work together. All of you have, not me. All of you have to work together because it's only for the betterment of the student and, and for the families, too. Quick questions that I just have. When you were talking about this screening, okay, my question is, is any of this data that you get, is it anonymous or do the, do the parents, I'm sure they have to put their names onto it, and it, and if you do to students, is students given any kind of survey? I mean, I pre-K sometimes they have, you know, a smiley face, sad face, how are you feeling, are you stressed out? So right now we're just asking teachers to rate students in their classrooms. So it's a questionnaire, literally they don't do it while the student's in front of them. So it's based on their knowledge of their students. Okay. So when they rate things like, is the student cooperative with peers? Are they argumentative? Those are some of the things they rate the student on, and it's a Likert scale, never, sometimes, often, almost always. So for our K-5 to teachers, we're asking the classroom teachers to rate their set of students. And then at the middle school, we're doing it a little bit differently. Um, I think it's the core teachers are rating a, su a subset of their students. So it's not something that we, it's not that a teacher asks a student to do something and that's what the screening is. It's not a performance-based task. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a rating scale that the teacher does based on their knowledge of the student. Okay. So teachers have to have known the student for at least a month. Obviously at this point in the year, teachers know their students pretty oh, yeah. well. Um, in the future, there is, as I mentioned before, there is a student version that is appropriate for grades, I think, three and up. Mm -hmm. And there's a parent version, which is almost identical to the teacher version. So this year, we thought it made sense to start with the teachers. But moving forward, we might look at whether it makes sense to have students rate themselves, mm -hmm. to have potentially parents rate students. We were, we were talking about it for some of our incoming kindergarten students. Um, to ask parents to, you know, to look at this as a potentially a tool for the incoming kindergarten um, students because we don't know them yet, and so getting more information from the families could be potentially important data as well. How is this communicated to the parents if they're doing, if the teacher is doing this, are the parents able, if they wish, to come in and talk with the teacher and see what the rating is? Because sometimes the way the kids are in school is not the way that they're at home, yeah. and at home they're not in school. Exactly. So, so part of it, we principals um, communicated to families that this screening was being done, and in that communication was a link to the actual screening tool. Mm -hmm. So parents were able to click it and see exactly what it looked like. Mm -hmm. um, parents were also given an option to opt out if they wanted to opt their child out, so we did have some parents partake in that. Um, parents are able to ask for the information so they can ask for the results of the screening. Mm -hmm. um, right now, because this is new, we're not really sure what's gonna come of the, the screenings, right? This is a new initiative. So we're not going to be sharing out every student's screening results with parents, just like we don't share out every Dibbles rating mm. we don't share out every math assessment mm -hmm. with parents as we talked about earlier if there's something concerning that comes out of it just like any other piece of information we would pick up the phone right and call a mm -hmm. parent and i also want to say too 
by this time in the school year, those conversations are already happening or have happened, right? Mm -hmm. If there's concerns with students, by now we've already had those conversations, right, between the teachers and family members. Um, and I think as Keith was saying, to me this is a lot, I think we do really do a good job at identifying individual students who might need more support. And this is really a great way of helping us identify those larger areas of need, like for each grade or building. Mm -hmm. So, but if a parent wanted to know what the results of yep. the server were, they could contact they the could teacher yep, and have a ask. meeting with the teacher. So that's that's an, a line of communication yes. that, that is open to the parents. Um, could you explain a little bit about the Metro West survey that you said was given to seventh graders? Was it just seventh graders? You said Esper decided. Oh, the seventh. Oh, yeah, Esper. Is that what you meant? No, the Metro West survey. So they're two different things. Okay, they are. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Esper stands for Screening, Brief Intervention, and Referral to Treatment (SBIRT), and that's a state initiative where they require public schools to screen one middle school grade and one high school grade for substance use. So that notification was sent out to parents this winter. We had done it at the high school right before the pandemic. We had not done the middle school, right, Mary Ellen? Before the pandemic, and then everything stopped, right, for the last two years. And this is the first year the state has asked us to do the screening again. Mm -hmm. So this year we did it on our seventh graders here at Melican. Well, I'm glad to see also another collaboration that just happened that I know. Yeah. It, you just asked the question, but I know there's more behind it. So yes. thank you, Mary Ellen Duggan, for everything that you're doing and Jennifer working with her. I, I guess the last one is I really love the area of focus where you see you're going to revisit programs focusing on equity, inclusion, and anti-bullying. So I think that's really, and this is the second time we've heard it yeah. in a presentation about the anti-bullying. Uh, I'd like to thank you very much for all your good work that you, excellent work you've done so far and look forward to more of it. And Greg, I just have a question through you. Uh, could we get a copy of the slides? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you for the time. And Dr. Lipton O'Connor, I just sort of wanted to wrap up a little bit. I wanted to thank you so much for being here. As you can probably tell, you know, this is a very important topic and I think probably one of the more important conversations we've had this school year. Uh, you know, you turn on the news, uh, read a news article and it's all about our students' well-being, their mental health, anxiety, depression, peer relations. Um, so this work is critical. Um, you ask any teacher and they're burnt out this year, not last year or the year before, but this year. And I think it's because our students are struggling socially and emotionally. Um, so to hear that, you know, this di the district is taking steps to try to identify students who really have needs is really um, empowering. Um, and I think one message maybe for our school committee members, what I sort of heard from quite a few people is, you know, I think we need to keep this sort of uh, on the forefront of our minds, especially come the fall when we really do talk about our budget goals mm -hmm. um, and maybe just sort of ensuring that conversations between your department and um, the rest of the administration continue to happen. That way once you get the data from, from the survey tool, um, 
you know, if there are any outlying needs that need immediate attention or maybe sustained attention in the future, we can get those supports um, for our students um, because, you know, this is very important. So I thank you so much for all your work. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you all for the support. Of course. Excellent point, Lauren, about, you know, yeah. forward thinking for the budget. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're just getting this one passed, but we need, need to worry about the next year. Thank you very much yeah. for putting that on the forefront. And I just want to thank Jennifer. Um, we are really fortunate to have her in this role. Um, and she is, as you can tell, thorough and um, really owns the work and is passionate about the work. And um, as a member of the teaching and learning team, as you were talking, Lauren, I was thinking, you know, we meet every other Friday. Um, and Jennifer keeps us all really connected to this work and informed so that we are weaving it together with our disciplinary work and across all areas and Ellen is part of that team and um, so we're really fortunate to have them um, in this role and thank you for all that you're doing and and I should say the principals the teachers all the people that we work with um, with Jennifer's leadership thank you so much for being here and I just add to that so I think last month we heard from Megan Kelty, Kathy Lazad, um, Dr. Coakley. This month we're hearing from Dr. Lincoln O'Connor. We hear monthly from Mary Ellen. Um, we have Julie Doyle, we have Marie Allen, um, we have Roto Web. So we have a really all-star. We have you know, Dr. Reinhardt, we have a, an all-star um, teaching and learning team who work collaboratively because one of uh, one of the important components of our work is making sure we're working not in silos but we're working in concert because we have a lot of things happening in district and um, it's it's great to see and observe and it's a very high functioning high performing team and I'm excited about looking at the future and the work that they're going to help us before. Excellent. Thank you. So next we're going to move on to our legislative update and uh, Superintendent Martineau has an update for us. Sure. So a week ago um, yesterday, the Northboro Select Board um, welcomed its uh, legislative delegation. So we had um, Representative Joe Coyne, Representative Gregoire, um, Senator Chandler, and Senator Eldridge. Um, and it was an opportunity for the Select Board but also for me as a superintendent on behalf of the school committee to communicate the legislative priorities. So um, the priorities that we really advocated for were first for um, increasing the Chapter 70 funding, um, the minimum local state aid from $30 to $100. Um, also funding the state aid um, at the inflation rate. So obviously inflation has impacted that current funding formula. Uh, the, the inflation rate was 4.9%, and there's been advocacy um, using a greater number of 5.9%. Um, also, making sure that circuit breaker, our special education reimbursement amount, was fully funded at the state level. Um, at the regional level, regional tra transportation reimbursement um, was also an area of advocacy. And probably most importantly, um, recently Congress announced that it was no longer funding universal free meals for schools mm -hmm. at the federal level. We have some hope that that might be back on the table. However, there has been local uh, and state legislation across the Commonwealth um, to have universal free school meals. 
for next year um, and through Keith's work and work with um, Kyle and Diane we've been trying to advocate on that on our behalf so that kids and that program continues next year without that program uh, potentially the school committee will have to consider um, raising the cost of meals Keith, Becky, and the financial team are working on the potential impacts that we'll be presenting uh, next month if these bills and um, this does not go through at the state level. What's the timeline to figure out those whether those bills will pass? Um, hopefully the state budget will um, be finalized in May or June, but it could be July. So okay. I think most likely we'll have a presentation in place just in case. Um, and then be hopeful about um, these bills moving forward and being passed. Okay. Kelly? Did they seem receptive to them? Yes, Were they, I mean, I think did they, they seem they like have really? heard um, across their um, communities that this is a priority. Uh, so this is not new news, and they see the importance of this as well. I know there was a thing about the food, and I, I shared it on Facebook about there was like a, mm, a petition. A petition to. Right. You know, to push in for the and on behalf of the school committee, I actually also signed. Um, mm -hmm. uh, doing that. Yes, uh, Keith sent me um, something to sign on behalf of the school mm -hmm. committee. So thank you, mm -hmm. thank you for doing that, Lauren. Mm -hmm. Of course. Um, so that brings us to our school choice discussion. So I'm going to hand it over to Mr. Martineau to lead that discussion tonight. school choice um, and my recommendation for whether the school um, committee or school district should opt out of school choice. So I'll provide an overview. Um, so <coughs> school choice has been in place since 1991 and it really is a, an opportunity, a mechanism for families across the Commonwealth to have choice of where um, kids can enroll in school. Um, and under the Ed Reform of 1993, um, it is presumed that all districts across the Commonwealth will participate in school choice unless they vote um, to opt out, and that vote needs to take place by June 1st. So school choice, a little bit about the funding mechanism. So for students we accept under the school choice, we receive $5,000 per student. Um, the per pupil expenditure in Northborough is a little under $20,000, so it's $19,241.97. So there is a significant discrepancy in the funding that we receive um, for each school choice student compared to the actual cost of educating a student in the world. Um, so school choice, what um, allows school committees to determine the grade level, um, if there is low enrollment in a specific class, um, the school committee can decide to open up school choice for that particular grade level. Um, and again, it is by lottery. So um, our non-discrimination policies are in place. Basically, if a parent applies for school choice, it is uh, if there are enough seats, a child is accepted uh, into the program. If there are more students than seats, then it's just random lottery and um, where students are picked. Um, in terms of advantages, I think that it is 
for many districts across the Commonwealth an opportunity to um, create revenue when they see declining enrollment. Uh, it allows for school districts to, again, kind of moderate enrollment if there are declining enrollment. Um, and it also is an opportunity for year-to-year uh, -year decisions to, to opt out of school choice. However, if um, we do accept a school choice student, that student um, has a seat in our district through eighth grade. So if we select, if we opt in as a student enrolls, that student has a right to be in our district through grade. Disadvantages, I think the FY 2020 for people expenditure and the reimbursement amount we receive for school choice is significantly different. Um, acceptance is by lottery. Um, so if a student um, enrolls and has significant needs, we are responsible. Um, once a student is accepted, the student remains in our district through grade eight. And again, there is always the potential that we could enroll a student uh, through school choice who has um, needs, whether it's social emotional needs, special education needs, and we have uh, educational responsibility to provide those services um, through that student's career. So my recommendation um, is no different than it has been the past two years, and um, my recommendation based on the disadvantages is for the public schools of North Grove to opt out of school choice. And the other factor that we look at is enrollment um, and class sizes. We just heard from Dr. Lipton O'Connor around uh, meeting the needs of all students. I think this really speaks to a time where I think it's important to have low class sizes so that we can um, pay as much attention to our students as possible as we move out of the pandemic. So at this point in time, I'd be happy to answer any um, questions. That is the annual school choice presentation. Joan and then Keith. Um, one question I have, Greg, if you can keep up the, that slide, the advantages and disadvantages. So once we, say for example, if we would have, we would, any year we accept school choice, and then the following year we decide not to do it. We have an influx of students. But because of the previous year, we allowed some students to come in. We then will have those students through grade eight, even though all sub subsequent years, we would not have school choice. That okay. is correct. Because it's like an advantage and a disadvantage that goes together there. Correct. Okay, thank you. Keith? What happens if you enroll a student that you can't meet the needs of? Do you, are you then, is the district then responsible for the outplacement or? So if the student requires um, special education services, um, there is a higher uh, reimbursement rate. It's $7,500 for a student who's on um, who needs more services. If the student requires an out-of-district placement, then that actually, part of the um, funding mechanism actually goes back to the sending district. So it's not as if it was an out-of-district placement, we'd be responsible for funding that. It's actually the sending district. Okay. And the 5,000 comes from the, the district of origin, or is it from the state? It, it goes, uh, it's from the state. Um, but it, it is a charge from the district sending the sending district to the state, and then we get the reimbursement from the state. The state mediates the, the funding model. Correct. And then it would go both ways. So say a student decided to leave our district and go to another district that had school choice, 
then we would be charged the five thousand dollars. Correct. And does that currently happen with any so we students? we are charged the um, correct. We lose the per mm -hmm. people um, reimbursement around uh, amount that we receive from the state, and the receiving district receives the five thousand dollars. And we do have students who um, school who opt to attend school in other districts for a variety of reasons. Okay. Um, Becky keeps that data. Okay. Um, hypothetically speaking, if, say, our district and the regional district opted yes to have school choice, um, would then an eighth grader automatically be enrolled in ninth grade or would they have to go through another process? No, so school choice would need to be um, available at, at Algonquin Regional High School. So mm -hmm. it has opted out of school choice mm -hmm. for um, as far as I can remember. If um, if it opted in, if it didn't opt out, right. then we would need to have the right seats. So at the end of eighth grade, potentially the student would need to go back to the sending district, okay. unless there was a space or uh, an option to attend the outcome. They'd probably have to do the same lottery type and entrance. It would be lottery. It's not a guarantee. Erin? Have we ever allowed school choice? Um, not in my, okay. not with my understanding, um, okay. not since 1993. I'm not sure about 1991 or 1992. No, I came aboard in 1993 and we have never had school choice, either at K-8 to Northboro or at the region. Do you see a particular um, milestone or event or financial situation where you would envision this could be a good choice for our district? I think if we, I think uh, in terms of a financial position, I think the district has been in a sound financial position for, for many years. I think the town is, is well managed. Um, I think if, if we found ourselves in a very difficult position where we were having to cut staff and reduce budgets year after year, um, it would be something that I think the committee would want to consider in order to kind of generate some revenue. Mm -hmm. um, but we have not reached that point. The districts that, for the most part, who have participated in school choice are districts who are finding challenging economic conditions within their community. And it's been a way to generate revenue to support their operation. Um, and the challenge that they will communicate is once you opt in or um, you accept school choice students and you rely on that revenue, it's hard to um, not um, receive that revenue mm -hmm. as your part of your operational budget. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Kelly. Um, so school choice is something that four or five years ago I was very interested about and researching a lot to bring in to the district because I was reading, you know, the benefits of it. Um, I'm from Western Mass and and I was just talking this past week and with my sister-in-law about it, and they have school choice in Western Mass. But again, it's a different type of, the more I've learned about it, it's a different type of community and economical school um, budget and situations mm -hmm. and that it really benefits. And there are towns that benefit greatly from it. Um, but it, it does seem like it, our town would take a hit from it mm -hmm. just by the reimbursement levels alone. Right. You know. Makes sense. 
Thank you, Greg, for that presentation. Um, so it sounds like we need to have our vote by June 1st. That is our June meeting, June 1st. So I'd probably recommend that we would have it at our May meeting. Mm -hmm. um, that would make sense. And uh, public hearing would uh, be prior to the vote, correct? Okay. Uh, so that brings us to the appro approval of grants and donations. So we do have a donation here. Um, so Capo Bianco Law um, continues with their donation uh, to the Northborough Schools Lunch Program um, and has donated an additional $1,000 to our Schools Lunch Program, which we were just talking about, which is wonderful. Um, so uh, anything else to add, Greg, before no, we take a vote? We're very appreciative of the donation. And, yes. um, it seems like every month um, they're listed as a donator so we are very appreciative and it's it's well needed so we just want to publicly thank um the law for their continued generosity absolutely yes joan um i would like to make a motion that we accept with generous uh, gratitude the donation of one thousand dollars to the northborough schools lunch program from capio banco law comic pc second any discussion all those in favor Excellent. It's approved unanimously. Thank you so much to Capo Bianco Law for your continued support to our program. Um, next, we are going to talk about our May meeting and potentially changing the date. Greg? Yes, so on May 4th, the Southborough um, community is holding its annual town meeting. Um, so there is a conflict, so uh, I have not been able to clone myself yet. So, um, so we have a couple options. We could reschedule the North Pearl School Committee meeting. Another option um, is Keith will be joining me at the, the annual town meeting in South Pearl. But Dr. Reinhorn does not know this yet. <laughs> Get that calendar out. He's more than capable um, of running a meeting um, if it's the will of the committee to keep that date. So I'm open um, to keeping that May 4th date or rescheduling. What alternative date do you have in mind or no? Um, Monday. Would work. The second. Yes. Second. Joan. Um, as a Northborough um, member of the Regional School Committee, I have already committed to attending the Southborough Town Meeting. So if you would still have the Northborough uh, meeting, I would not be able to attend. Okay. I think that's something important to consider. Um, you know, we don't have to decide right this second, but how is uh, Monday, May 2nd just sounding for everyone? Sounds good for me. Okay. If it's after town election, I might be pushed out the door. No, it's before. <laughs> yeah, no, if it happens to oh, go that would be an election uh, night. Yeah, we need to have it before. Before yeah, May no. 4th, uh, May 2nd would allow. I'm May good. 2nd, yeah, yeah, he's good. good. It's May 10th. Yeah, is that the May official day or is it yeah. after that? Joan probably knows. May 10th. May 10th. Election day. Like May 10th is our election date, and then it would be our June meeting would be the election of uh, officers so you would still be able to attend on the second mm -hmm. you're still a member okay Correct. make sure of it sounds like we're good for May second just, but I'll, I'll yeah. confirm I would just have to uh, my husband happens to be out of town and I I already confirmed for a babysitter on the fourth so I would just have to see if I could get a babysitter okay. so on the second I have Cheryl send out a do the poll sure a couple yeah. weeks, and then we'll skip those. Uh, excellent thank you so that brings us to old business and so we're gonna highlight Mary Ellen here um, and she's going to give us a COVID update. Here again. <laughs> We're only accepting Thanks, good Mary news Ellen. this evening. 
And I think um, Terry has a microphone for you. Do I need the microphone? as if you've sat that seat before. Would Maybe you? a few times. <laughs> Maybe a few times. I'm hoping for that Wednesday when you guys, I won't be in that old business. I was in new business on another one. <laughs> so um, our COVID cases um, had a slight uptick the past two weeks. Um, if you've looked at the dashboard at all. Um, in Northborough last week, we had 13 cases. The week before that, there was only one. And this week, there was nine. Um, we did have a little cluster of cases at Proctor. And we did um, consult with the medical advisory team. It was one classroom. It wasn't throughout the whole building. And we did recommend increased testing and um, mask wearing for that class last week. And everybody. Um, did wear their mask after we had recommended it from the medical advisory team. And we did not see any more cases in there this week, so that's a good news. Um, our numbers follow what we see in the state. If you look at the wastewater numbers, our, our graph follows directly with that. Um, and it's kind of leveling off now, if you follow all of that data. And our numbers for the past two weeks, like last week was 39, and this week was 32. So hopefully we'll keep trending down in that way. We did have a vaccine clinic last night. Um, we had 25 individuals come, some families, um, some students. So it was good that we got 25 people that hadn't been vaccinated before vaccinated. We did do some boosters, filled in the slots with some boosters for some staff members. So um, we have another clinic uh, in three weeks from last night. And you can look on the town website for other clinics that are available for those of you that are over 50 or immunocompromised for your second booster. Those are coming up this week, Friday, I think is the first mm -hmm. one, and then in a few weeks on Friday. Um, our testing is staying about the same for our pool testing. It's between 1,100 and 1,200 a week. Uh, we had five positive pools this week. The program at the outset the state had said it was going through April. I reached out this week again. Weekly, I asked them what is the end date, and they have not committed, but they said they will be making an announcement soon. Um, so the testing programs are continuing, as far as I know, probably through the end of the year, um, would be my guess. Um, our antigen test kits, we have some people drop out each week, some people add in, so it's a revolving door, but it stayed right about the same. Um, and our town numbers are just about the same, a little bit lower this week than last week for both of us, for North Row. So I don't know if you have any other, any questions for me about the COVID update? Looks like we're, we're good to go. Oh, no. Joan? Uh, Marianne, first of all, just thank you very much for everything that you have done. I just feel like I've learned so much from you and the medical advisory staff and team. And you have just kept us up to date. And I just feel very, very blessed that you have kept us in, in the staff and the educators and the students. And, and they were at the forefront all the time. I think you give up a lot of hours of sleeping for it. So my question for you is, are we still testing staff? Is that a voluntary thing? Um, you know, just the swaps in that? Or how's that going? 
So all of the screening or testing is voluntary, so I don't have to break down between staff and students um, who's participating or not. So. Okay, so it's voluntary even for the students. Uh -huh. So if a parent, if they were away on an extended trip and they think that they might have had been a close contact, they could come and, and have the swab test. Is that correct? So, so we have the pool testing available. You have to sign in. You have to sign up for all of them, opt okay. in for the antigen testing, um, and sign a consent for any um, antigen testing that's done at school. But mm -hmm. we do have lots of testing available for anybody that wants it. Okay. And for the second booster, um, vaccination. I saw when I signed up to get mine on Friday at the Northborough Senior Citizen Center. There, there are two options. I think we're all, two other options were Mellican and the high school. So those, is that correct or um, no? There's not one at Mellican. I think those were old that, that weren't available to okay. look for those. But are they going to be? Is the high school going to be a site to give the second booster? Or is it just Northborough Seniors? Do you know? The Northborough Senior Center is the one for the town. The high school was the event last night. Where we okay. Have targeted our students who were not vaccinated and their families, um, and then they have their three-week second okay. shot clinic set up. But if there's openings there, we'll open it up to the town or to the staff. Okay. Thank you very much. Any further questions? All right, Mary Ellen. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mary Ellen. You're welcome. We appreciate it. Um, so that brings us to our MSBA update. I don't know who to turn it over to, <laughs> superintendent or uh, assistant superintendent. Um, so part of the MSBA process is making sure that we submit our application for a statement of interest um, under the timeline uh, that is allotted. So we did perform that duty and we got our application in on time and it was accepted uh, for the Proctor Roof Project. Uh, so that was certainly a priority from our capital plan and one that we would love to see MSBA support for. I hope that within, I don't know, eight months, eight weeks to 12 weeks, we'll hear uh, the, the decision about whether or not we will be accepted into the next phase and then we'll report out to you guys on what that is and what it will require of us. In the meantime, uh, from that, we are making progress on the uh, uh, Proctor project to uh, repair the downspouts and fix the drainage uh, that we identified in earlier months' presentations. And we just wrapped that up today, and we had one uh, bidder for the project, uh, and we'll be connecting with that uh, vendor shortly to set up a timeline and get that work done as soon as possible. So first things first, we're taking care of the downspout project. And, and then we're hopeful that we hear back from MSBA with a, with a thumbs up to accept us in. And then we'll work closely with the town and you to make sure we're following the right steps to get that job complete. So hopefully it'll all be a good good path ahead. And are those projects that you just mentioned about the downspouts, is that what's being potentially funded by ARPA? Um, did John identify that specifically? Yes. He did identify it. Okay. Great. Because I think the Board of Selectmen voted for that they a month did. ago. A few weeks last back month. They yeah. It. Okay. I just couldn't remember the funding. So. Sure. Thank you. Uh, Kelly and then Joan. Um, so you mentioned steps, but not in the steps that I'm thinking of. Um, Proctor steps. Uh, <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> it, it, is, it is very possible that, um, you know, the drainage did impact the steps that come from That's the, what I was wondering. the front wing yeah. there down to the lower lot. 
Uh, we have reached out to uh, a number of vendors to see if they'd be interested in helping us take care of that. We do have a more of a short-term solution uh, that we're going to be able to implement as soon as possible. But things have to dry out a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, putting anything, resecuring that in a damp environment is not going to last very long. So working closely with uh, you know Bud Richardson, our facilities managers, on different approaches to take care of that is something that we can do. But if you do look at that area, you can see that you know the saturation and the moisture in that area is high, yeah. uh, and that probably led to you know the, the crumbling of the concrete at those steps. So, and it's not a new problem. Those steps have been repaired previously, and then that repair is the thing that actually failed failed most recently. And we're looking to restore it as quickly. Um, getting back to the Proctor School repair on the downspouts and the drainage, best case scenario, when would that project begin? Um, before the end of school, definitely. Okay. And we were working with Principal uh, Sear to make sure it does not interrupt uh, learning in any way or operations and making sure we're following proper procedures with that. So I, I anticipate we could get it done this spring, uh, but we will work closely to, you know, with, with the school to make sure it's not an interruption. So my hope is that the vendor's available and that we can work with principals here to get it done as soon as possible. And we also didn't rule out the opportunity to do the work over the weekend because the mass majority of it is outdoors. Okay. And then just uh, two questions to follow up on that is, and I'm sure it's going to happen, is it is that if that work happens during the school day, mm -hmm. the, the crew will be quarry checked? Correct. Okay, because they could be in some interaction Probably not. I've been in school projects when they're not. But these are always questions that come up that they will be quarry checked and sometimes the work begins at dismissal or if school is not in session. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where we're really going to partner with Principal Sear and, and the central office and Becky. We did have that part of the bid requirements to make sure that we did follow those proper clearance uh, procedures. So we will have that in place for all vendors that are on site. And especially no work being done during MCAS testing. We'll avoid MCAS. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Keith. You're welcome. Uh, next is the superintendent's report to the committee. Mr. Martineau? Sure, so in your packet is the enrollment report as of March 30th, 2022. So we are keeping a close eye on enrollment numbers. Um, and the principals and I are meeting frequently to uh, monitor enrollment. Um, we are monitoring a couple grade levels very closely. Um, and have plan B in place if we need to um, make sure we're staying within the enrollment policy of the school committee. Kelly? That's what I was going to say that um, looking at next year's, you know, projection ahead, um, you know, there's three at one school, two at two other schools. Seven altogether, Kelly. Yeah. And then, but then there's for grade one, it's halved almost in every school. Yeah, so grade yeah, one so is one we're watching very that, closely yeah. because of the number of seats. So yeah. typically we um, won't have a good number until um, early summer. Um, you know, families who move away, move away. and families who enroll. Um, but we do have a plan B um, just in case. Yeah. When you say plan B, is that for this school year or next school year? So it'd be a, it, it would be requiring us to add staffing okay. support. Okay. Um, you know, the increased enrollment. Right. 
typically, you know, this this enrollment report is not atypical from what we've seen in the past. Um, I think in the past few years, I think three years ago, we had to add another section of kindergarten over the summer. Um, but for the most part, we've been able to um, stay within the class size policy and um, accommodate students through the, the policy for the most part. Joan? Uh, Greg, looking at the numbers for this year and also for next year, are there any classes that are capped, especially for this year, where the students are not going in their neighborhood schools, but they're going to another school? Yeah, so if you look at the enrollment report, any of the cells that are highlighted in yellow mm -hmm. are classes that are capped. Okay. So you can see the 2020, uh, 2021-22 class sizes that are capped and the projections for 23. Are, are you asking, there's, there, it's about 12% right now of yeah. kids that are redistricted. Yeah, I just okay. know from a different meeting. So there, it's, a, it's about 120 kids that aren't at their neighborhood school right now. 112? 119, I think was We the, are also in the process of where there, is, there are spaces asking families if they want to return to their neighborhood school. So those letters have gone out, um, or are going out, they haven't already this week. Okay, thank you. Erin? Have um, the elementary schools already met and decided if there'll be shifts in teachers? Like sometimes you need to move a Yes, yeah, so we have a plan. Okay. And um, you know, obviously it's, um, there are many factors and moving parts, so we are meeting frequently with the principals to make sure that um, we're monitoring that very closely. Um, so we have library um, library media specialist positions open. We have the IT positions, and depending on what happens with those positions, could impact the shifting teachers. So these enrollment projections and sort of just this conversation overall, you know, that Kelly was bringing up about students uh, and, and Joan was talking about um, you know not attending their neighborhood schools um, this conversation I assume has been sort of part of your conversation Kelly that's why I know the number yeah <laughs> I'm on yeah. that that's my subcommittee okay. of the subcommittee <laughs> uh, what's the subcommittee called again Refresh. the great configuration, the great configuration study. Study. okay I know that that has been talked about a little bit in the community about you know why grade configuration and why are we talking about this so you know in case any of the community members are interested it's it's this this is one of the main issues, correct, Greg? It's a, it is a factor, yes. A factor, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else about enrollments? Joan? Um, Greg, I know the number 119 students seems high, but I know that in the previous administration by Superintendent Johnson, I think that's when it was started when we had the new students coming in during the summertime and trying to get them, a class was capped. How does this number project as in previous years, is this a higher number? So we are definitely, as we are seeing um, plateauing and, and a little bit of declining enrollment, pre-K mm -hmm. through five, we are trying to not redistrict students when we don't have to. We think it's important for students to attend their neighborhood schools mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons, including transportation. It really causes a hardship for us when we have a student who is in the Proctor district um, but is attending another neighborhood school that we have to transport. It causes another logistical challenge that 
uh, Keith and Jean have had to um, overcome. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that that um, you know it's we're, we're still placing students in other um, neighborhood districts as a result mm -hmm. of the class sizes that we see, um, but it's not as to the, the great extent as it has been in the past. It is, and I know several years ago um, after you had passed out the letters to parents, there were some students that, and parents that wanted to stay out of district because they had such a great experience. M many of, our, of the families choose to stay within the school that their, their children were redistricted mm -hmm. to because they've met great kids and are having a great experience. And that's the nice thing about our community. We have four great elementary schools where you could have a great experience no matter what, which school you attend. Mm -hmm. um, Thank you. Of course. Is that hands, Keith, or no? I was just going to say, it becomes a benefit later if you know kids from your own school. And, you know, when you hit Melkin, mm. we, we happened to move, so we did two schools on the way through. So it kind of becomes a social, yeah. yeah. So it's not it's not all downsides. Yeah, yep. kids play sports together. They mm -hmm. dance together. They socialize together. So there's a lot of opportunity mm -hmm. outside of the school structure for kids to get to mm -hmm. know one another. But I think the more that kids can get to know their peers before arriving to Melkin, I think it is a benefit. Mm -hmm. All right. So also in your packet is the FY twenty three monthly expense report. So the um, FY22 monthly general fund report as of March 31st marks the um, end of the third quarter in fiscal year 22. Um, we have one more quarter left in the year and in the finance department it's always um, one of the busiest quarters as we prepare to close out the current fiscal year and also as we prepare to start a new fiscal year. Um, the ending balance as of March 31st is $163,909, or 0.64%. Um, compared to the same time last year, we had $569,337, or 2.26% remaining. Some of the areas that we are watching, because they are variable costs, um, and those are substitute teachers and nurses, custodial overtime and substitutes, also our heating, and then special education transportation is something that we have been watching um, with some new students who have required transportation. Um, we are, as I said, the team is looking at our open purchase orders for fiscal year 22 to make sure that we are working with the schools to close out those purchase orders and then also for any anticipated expenses that they may have at year end. Um, and as I've reported in previous meetings, we are continually monitoring um, this budget and watching this budget um, just to make sure that we are bringing it home uh, with these. Thank you. So we are looking for a vote tonight. Keith? I have a motion. Yes. I move to accept until audited the FY2022 monthly general fund expenditure report as of March 31st, 2022, as presented today. Second. Thank you. Any discussion? All right. All those in favor? Excellent. It passes unanimously. Thanks, Becky. And then the last item under the superintendent's report is um, the warrant article and uh, having the committee assign a person to read the warrant article at the annual town meeting on April 26th. And the warrant article is in your 
I can go to the meeting. I'm not late, Lauren. <laughs> wow, it's such usually, enthusiasm, Kelly. <laughs> well, it's usually, it is usually, is the, it usually chair. the chair. Yeah. And I support, okay. Unless there's and multiple. I support one. Kelly, yeah. Unless there's multiple. The I mean, sometimes there's multiple, though. but yes. <laughs> That's fine. I, think, I don't uh, think Joan's ever read one before, so. Really? <laughs> really? I think I do. <laughs> she needs a turn. Tradition should be the, the person who's leaving the oh. <laughs> I would welcome that if you would like to. I mean, I, yeah, I wouldn't mind. It's whatever you want. Keith, it's all you. It's all you. I, actually, I, was, I think I was supposed to read it the past two years, and the past two years the moderator has actually read it, so I've never oh. been able to read it. That's true, um, yeah. Yeah, um, I think because it's early on in the Warren articles, and so I think they were like getting their flow down. Um, but well, Keith, it's all you. Okay. Excellent. Well, Lauren, you can second it because sometimes Perfect. we hang out there. You know, that sounds great. Second from our committee. So, um, all right. Thank you so much, uh, Superintendent Martineau, for your report. That brings us to school committee member reports. Uh, maybe we'll just start at the end. Erin, do you have anything to report tonight? I do not. All right, Keith. I am good. All right, Joan. Well, 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 well. <laughs> wow. Um, I'll first start off with um, uh, something that I read and it wasn't mentioned yet tonight. I'd like to give the congratulations to the Malican sixth grade band that was awarded the gold at uh, the MICA this past weekend, I believe. So congratulations to the sixth grade band. Uh, look forward to them going up and go going to be at Algonquin. Um, I'd also like to mention, um, and I believe Lauren, you sent it to us. It was an email that was forwarded to you by Kim Tolander. Mm -hmm. Is that um, there's a community keynote event on Thursday, April the 7th, which is tomorrow at 7 p.m. at the Trottier Middle School Auditorium in Southboro. It is a local Southboro parent and author, Jennifer De Leon, is the guest keynote speaker on the power of stories. And as Lauren said, this is part of the speaker series envisioned by the Coalition for Equity. So um, on Lauren's uh, email that she sent to us, there was a place to RSVP, which I've done. Um, so my husband and I will be attending. I would definitely be attending, see if I can get him to go along. Um, quick question about that, actually, if that's OK. Sure. Yeah. Do, is, is that going to be recorded? Does, does anybody know? We're working on it. Um, there. go live. So we are, we are trying to get, get, have it recorded, but we may be short staff. So. Mm, okay. Thank you. Can I just add one thing? People don't have to RSVP to come. Oh, so you don't? It's nice if people RSVP, but just if people are watching, mm -hmm. they are welcome to come without RSVP as well. Okay. And Lauren, I'd like to thank you for sending that to us and forwarding it from Kim, who is a member of the Southboro K-8 School Committee. Yes. And um, I just would like to, I have more of a lengthy report because I'm the liaison to the Northboro Ed Foundation and there was a meeting last night that was a Zoom meeting and I passed um, out two important papers for everybody. Uh, the first one is Teacher Appreciation Week is going to be May 2nd to the 6th. It is a fundraiser sponsored by uh, one of the initiatives by the Ed Foundation. And every year they do a gift of a golden apple that parents uh, can purchase for a teacher. And uh, the price is $15 each or five for 50. 
uh, along with the golden apple this year, there's a bonus. It's going to be a gold. Uh, it's going to be a beautiful live succulent plant that will be delivered also. And if you'd like to purchase it, it's uh, make sure you get your orders in by May 1st. And on this uh, second page is the annual thing that they not annual because they didn't do it for the past I think year or two is uh, a princess tea party that is going to be held at Algonquin and that is going to be on Saturday May 7th from 2 to 4 p.m. and uh, what that's going to consist of it's $15 a child 35 uh, for an adult and they'd like you to purchase those um, as soon as you can sometimes you can get them that day at the door and there's a lot of fun activities that they have there's going to be uh, uh, from Frozen is going to be characters of Anna and Elsa and it's going to be a princess dance performance uh, there's going to be glitter tattoos crafts nail painting and it's a tea and desserts and also uh, photo opportunities so this is a great thing because the next day is Mother's Day um, also, there was a grant update that they had, and just similar to what we heard earlier from the uh, from the uh, PTO, is that uh, there's a deadline date for grants, and they're coming in very slowly. Uh, they have seven grants in so far, one intent to apply, and this is for next year. And uh, all the teachers and faculty would have to do is from May by May 1st to file just to say that you're going to apply for a grant. The application does not have to be in until July 1. And Greg, I asked them if uh, at last night's meeting about pre-K, because we're talking now instead of being a K to 8 district pre-K, and I said, would you offer the grants to the pre-K? And they said, yes, they've never had it. So if somehow you could make that known, I think it would be a great uh, process for them to go through. And um, the other thing they'll be working on is the teach, Teacher Appreciation Week, which is the Golden Apples, and um, they're working already on the Apple Fest Gala for September 16th of next year. So it's a small group, but it's a very good group, and uh, they do a lot of wonderful things, I think, for our teachers and for the kids at the same time. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Joan. Kelly. <clears throat> so for an NSPAC update, um, I think it was last Monday, it was... Um, the executive function workshop by Sarah Ward and it was virtual and I attended it. it was amazing I thought it was so great um, on the events page of the NSPEC um, there is the slideshow of the presentation so if you weren't able to attend it I highly um, and the video of it too um, definitely check it out um, I even forwarded it to friends and um, they they thought it was great even not mm -hmm. being able to attend it so a lot of great information. It was well attended too. It right? was well attended. It was a combination of a bunch of CPAC. So mm -hmm. it wasn't just a Northboro event and Southboro event. Um, there was there was a okay. few other ones. So it was a nice collaboration amongst other um, districts. So um, it was they were very fortunate to have that opportunity. I think it was great. And I think having it be such a nice success, I think they'll probably be able to do some more too. Um, um, upcoming event for them is um, Thursday, April 28th. It's the Basics Rights Understanding the IEP presented by the Federation of Children with Special Needs. And um, that's going to be 6.30 to 8.30. And you can register again on their um, events page. And going the distance, they are coming back. Um, and they are um, going to be in person again this year. Um, and it's going to be May 19th at 6 p.m. at the high school. 
and they've already sent out um, nominations um, forms. Um, I know it was in the Proctor News. I think Beasley probably saw it too. Um, so the principals have circulated it around and stuff. But you can always go to their website, also their webpage, and click to nominate um, anyone for that. Um, I won't say anything about the great configuration. I mean, we have an upcoming meeting, um, I guess, because I, I thought that was featured, and so it's going to be um, doing. I don't. Did we confirm the meeting no, for so next week? Next I don't know if it's going to be after uh, April vacation. Get it tomorrow. Or? Okay. And it will be actually a week from tomorrow, Thursday the fourteenth. Okay. Yeah, because I know it was. So I will not be in attendance of that meeting, so I will I will get the brief um, <laughs> of that afterwards. I will be on a beach in Hawaii. All the time difference, it might be complicated. Um, but I'll I'll check it. If it's if it's a Zoom meeting, then yeah. So I'll Zoom. Anything else, Kelly? Um, I don't think so. We haven't done solar, and the PTO we met and. Um, it was a great meeting last Friday, and we just um, talked about the equity um, report that was released the Wednesday before. Perfect. What's going on? Great, thank you. Oh, and then the high school, it's not really for us, but it's kind of. They're still fundraising for the, um, that was one of the things at the PTO meeting, they're fundraising mm -hmm. for the after prom parties. Mm -hmm. so. Great, so, thank you. Um, I just wanted to sort of give a shout out to our paraprofessionals. So today is Paraprofessional Appreciation Day, so our ESPs do a lot of work for our district. Um, and so I hope that they know how much they're appreciated. Um, they wear many hats. Um, they do a lot of good work, uh, so that's really important. And it is also um, Vice Principal Appreciation Week. And so we do have, I believe, Jen Callahan is our assistant principal for the middle school. So thank you, Jen. Um, shout out to Jen as well. Um, we do have, uh, so thank you, Joan, for talking about the coalition speaker event mm -hmm. um, coming up tomorrow. Um, we do have a cultural uh, music and dance festival that's also coming up. I, can I release that date yet? I can, okay. Um, so it's actually gonna be Friday, June 3rd. It's the day before graduation. So we're gonna yeah. use the setup outside on the field um, for an outdoor music and dance celebration. So Rhoda's been working really hard on that. Um, and uh, more details will be coming about that. Um, all right, that's it. Hold on, let me see what's next. <laughs> I didn't have my agenda up. So I just have one, one item to yes, share. Sure. So that is uh, a week from tomorrow, uh, April 14th, um, the town will be holding a convening of the boards mm. uh, as a public hearing to hear from the community around expenditure of the ARPA funds. So that will take place at Algonquin Regional High School in the library at 6 p.m. And as soon as the agenda is posted, I will send it out to, to you folks. Great. Um, and so in case we do have a quorum, we'll probably want to post as well. I won't be there. <laughs> um, so um, ARPA funds that we have essentially you know, communicated with the town include the Proctor Roof and, and any other projects? Correct. Okay. So I think it's uh, important. So the school district received um, ESSER funds. We received ESSER 1, mm -hmm. 2, and 3 funds as a result of the pandemic and the impacts of the pandemic. 
parallel, the town received ARPA funding um, to support um, its impact, of the, uh, the pandemic's impact to the town. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I have been in close contact with John Kader talking about the needs. Um, one of the things I think is really important is that there's been a lot of conversations around adding positions, adding people. Mm. Um, and one of the things we're very careful about is not creating a structural deficit by adding positions. And then when the, this money goes away, then we don't have the operational uh, funding to support those positions. So I think we've been in conversations around more capital projects like the roof and the drainage and other um, one-time expenses that were already included in the, the master plan of the town that seems prudent to move forward. But it will be um, interesting to hear from the community what the community is, is interested in expending the money mm -hmm. on. So. Great, thank you. I went to the previous meeting, the unofficial meeting of it, and um, it, did, it did look like people we're very excited about potentially giving money to the schools and I was like, we'll take any money you guys want. So, <laughs> but there was some enthusiasm about that too. I think, you know, the piece about making sure that the money um, is used for something that doesn't have to then be expended onto the operational budget mm -hmm. in the future mm -hmm. when that grant funding goes away. Um, is key and so you know any any members of the school committee who choose to go to that meeting you know if it comes up feel free to speak up and i also think you know um, dr lipton o'connor's presentation over the past five years pre-pandemic we've added a lot of um, support staff to support the sel needs of our students like school psychologists behavioral specialists um, health educators bcbas so um, Thankfully, the district has been very proactive in adding those positions. Um, so I think we are in a good, a good place in terms of support, the support teams. And now, again, it's really looking at how to make sure we're maximizing the expertise and, and using those resources as efficiently as possible. Thank you. Um, we do not have any educational policy at this time or policy development, so we're going to move on to personnel items. So in your packet is the personnel report for as of April 6, 2022, and I will note um, a couple of retirements. Um, in particular, Linda McCann, grade 2 teacher at Lincoln Street School. Um, so one of the things I'm excited for as we look to the next several months is being able to celebrate and honor our retirees as they exit um, our community. Um, and it will be an opportunity for us to thank and celebrate their hard work and commitment and um, impact to the district. So as we learn more about what those events will be, I will communicate that to the committee. Thank you. Uh, next is communications. Um, it looks like we have a notification about the Wetlands Protection Act. So we did receive, we do receive notifications if um, the immediate school grounds are impacted. So we did receive a communication from uh, Scott Charpentier from the Northport Department of Public Works. Um, so just informational, there's nothing we need to do. Um, there is a public hearing if a committee member wanted to attend. Um, that would be um, this. Uh, the call. Yeah, the call. 
so I can find okay. out when that needs <laughs> Call for the public, yes. Thank you. And, and Keith has a um, great partnership with Scott Sharp and Deer and constant communication. So if there's anything that needs to be addressed, Keith will be aware. Our operations and traffic hasn't been impacted by anything. Okay. Is that the plate in front that they just laid down? Yes. Is that, yes. that's, yeah. Uh, next, we have action on minutes. So we have two sets of minutes. Um, so I'm looking for a motion to approve the open meeting minutes of March 2nd, 2022, and the special open meeting minutes of March 10th, 2022. So moved. Second. Any discussion? My name was spelt wrong in one part. I don't know if that matters. Or I don't think that it matters for the content. Are you okay with that, Kelly? I don't. All right. I was just. just oh, I'll have to draw correct it. It's not. Yeah, it's not. I mean, I saw it, it was a EY. It's not a big deal. I just happened to notice it. All those in favor? That was a test. <laughs> that was a test to see if I was reading it. Yes. Guess what? That was I good, Kelly. <laughs> All those in favor? Wonderful. They passed unanimously. So, so far, uh, future agenda items uh, in May, we'll have our school choice public hearing, and we will also vote. We'll have a grade configuration study group presentation either in May or June, um, and then also bus updates and plan for next school year. Anything else? Joan. Um, I think uh, because Michelle Carr was not here as the middle school mm. yes. and the, PT or the PTO. Excellent. Anything else? All right, if you think of anything, let me know. Approval of bills and payrolls has been done electronically. And last but not least, we have audience sharing. <laughs> I think we have members of our district in the audience. Thanks for sticking with us. All right, uh, that is it. I will entertain a motion to adjourn. I'll yes, make Kelly. A motion to adjourn meeting. Perfect. Second. Any discussion? All those in favor? We are adjourned at 8.48 p.m. Thank you, everyone. Cheer pick up, Joe. Uh, what do you have to do? Cheer pick Cheer up. Cheer pick up. You can get there by 9. Shrewsbury. My goal Cheer. is 9 o'clock, and we made the goal. All-star <laughs> <laughs>